Welcome to Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective podcast, where we meet experts from all walks of life to learn their intrinsic motivation so that they can share it with the world. What do we have in store today? Stay tuned to find out more. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. This is another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I am David. And really excited to speak with our guest today. Uh, we have a little similarities in that he has uh, extensive background in engineering, research, design, construction, manufacturing. Uh, so definitely a pro- fellow propeller head. And he's, he has a book that he has written, and he has over 30 years. It's, it's a work in progress. Uh, for over 30 years, he's interviewed a lot of scholars, over 40 scholars over the 30 years, and he's really addressing the school system. Uh, the title of the book is Darwin, Darwin's Replacement, Introducing the Godly Science of Atomic biology as the replacement for Darwin's theory of evolution. And he's saying that all of us poor children that went to public school learned the wrong thing. We are being taught fake science. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Tom Rogers to the podcast. Welcome, Tom. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, I think is the way you often start, because <laughs> you don't know when people are going to listen to your podcast, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So welcome. And yeah, you're you're talking about some. Well, we'll go and we'll get into your book, but you're you're proposing that most science that we learn in school, uh, for people that were actually paying attention and didn't fall asleep in science class, you're saying it's a bunch of baloey. Well, um, we should narrow that down a little bit. It certainly isn't all science. It's just the idea that. Um, Evolution is the cause of life, and uh, I think we've proven that it's not. And um, it's it's interesting how long it really took to get some solid evidence that um, that it can't do the job. But the three Nobel Prize winners for chemistry in 2016, um, they got the award for developing over a 33-year period some really, really simplistic little molecular machines, like they had to make uh, atoms into circles for little wheels, and then they had to put an axle through there and put on another wheel, and they're they're just using really small numbers of atoms. And um, then um, I found that they have to work on a solid gold surface, and once they get something built, they have to stimulate it with ultraviolet light. So it's so far more simplistic than the molecular machines in our cells that it really proved that that uh, mankind, with all our vast accumulation of, of uh, science knowledge and uh, sophisticated equipment, we don't have anywhere near enough intelligence to build the kind of molecular machines that are built into our cells every day. So that, that was really the clincher. Now, there are many other things that... Um, we had uh, developed that showed that evolution can't do the job of building cell parts on us. 
Um, but this, this I felt, was a real clincher, and I talked to another uh, brilliant fellow down in um, Rice University who got into this about 11 years ago, and um, he, he's built a few really simplistic units as well, but just really proved that we don't have anywhere near enough intelligence to build cell parts, and so it takes super intelligence, and we only know one source of that. So that's, that's where this comes from. Certainly not all, I'm not saying all science is fake. I'm just saying that the idea of, of evolution as a cause of life is not, um, is not, it isn't the cause of life. Um, we believe in evolution in that there are mutations, but even mutant cells have to be constructed. And here's, here's what I added to the book just recently. Um, we talked about just before the show. And that was that in, in talking with a lot of scholars, and I'm talking about PhDs in the field and that sort of thing, and when I've asked them how they think the right numbers of the right atoms are selected and precisely placed to make um, cell parts, and especially molecular machines, you could just tell they had never gone there before. And, you know, I spent years trying to find some scientists that had, had gone down to the atomic level. And, uh, you know, we've, we've had um, cellular biology and molecular biology, but never gone down to the atomic level where the action is and where atoms have to be found and selected and precisely placed and fastened and uh, hooked up. So that that's where... Um, um, you know, the real conclusion came from. But before that, we had seven principles and 18 other um, factors that showed that evolution couldn't do the job of building cells. This was this last part was just a clincher. Sure. And, and just looking at your bio, uh, David and I, over the past year and a half that we've interviewed folks, we have what's called a hello moment where you're kind of – you know, puttering along, doing your what you thought was regular life, and then something happens that puts you on a different trajectory. And it looks mm-hmm. like 1987 was when you had yours. Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Sure, sure. Um, I uh, I worked very hard my you know whole life. I just I guess part of it was ego. I think when I look back, I think it was. A lot of ego motivation that, uh, you know, I wanted to be top of the class and great in sports and all that. And um, um, and then when I got married and I worked very hard to build a little empire and actually uh, at age 31 I built a 27-room mansion in a great, great part with a, a great neighborhood with a fantastic view and, <laughs> and uh, had an indoor pool and that sort of thing. But... Um, this was not good. I, you know, I found later that this this idea of going that hard after stuff really isn't your best uh, way to live. Because I had a you know wonderful wife and family, but I was working so much of the time that um, you know I missed missed some time with the kids and and my wife who didn't drive. You know, she was just like a bird in a gilded cage. Anyway, um, the. Um, Advent of the high interest rates in the twenty in the eighties. Uh, I don't know if that affected you fellows at all, but it, it certainly affected a lot of uh, my colleagues in business. And um, so my little empire had I had um, 
manufacturing plants and apartment buildings and oil wells, and uh, it all went away um, because what OPEC was doing was with oil prices first and then um, what what the government was doing with these high interest rates. So it, it affected a lot of people. And so I my little empire went away, and then I... You know, I was laying on the bottom looking up and trying to find, you know, what's, what's a better solution? What's something better than this? Because this isn't good. And I really felt suicidal for a while. You know, I thought you know, for about six weeks there that life wasn't worth living anymore because I'd, I'd made so many sacrifices to build this empire. And um, and it all went away. So, you know, what's it all about, Alfie? And, and um, so... Kind of a miracle arrangement. Um, I, I got my spiritual life sorted out partly through uh, a Billy Graham conference and and uh, a friend that had been to that, and, and so I started, you know, with this background of engineering, manufacturing, research, construction. Okay, how does this creator actually build things? How does he how does he make things? So that's where it started, 1987, as a curiosity. And, yeah, it, I wasn't. Go ahead. I wasn't necessarily affected in '87, but I do remember uh, when the dot-com crash happened. Some of my uh, older peers, my that uh, my mentors, they were like, "Oh, this is nothing like '87." And so, when you you're, you you've seen a couple of these waves where there's a uh, you know, there's opulence and and affluence and abundance, and then there's mm-hmm. scarcity. You, you've seen this happen on, on a, a number of cycles, but uh, how were you able to surf all the other cycles that happened after '87? Well, um, I I um, <laughs> I got into Bible study, of course, with with some other businessmen, and um, I was really out of out of uh, cash to pay my rent one time and uh, I thought well what what does the Bible have to tell me about this so I was looking at it and I kept seeing this work with your hands work with your hands and of course I had started building houses with my father when I was still in, in high school and uh, you know, on the weekends and holidays and so I, I put a little uh, note up on the bulletin board in the laundry room of this apartment building I was in and um um, you know, saying they could do renovations, and uh, if they wanted to tear off the phone number, give me a call. And uh, so I put that up there at midnight one night, and by noon the next day, I had my first two thousand dollar contract for doing some res- renovations. So that that kind of kept me going, and then you know things started coming together again, and I had some good contacts, and we got into some some other bigger projects, and. Um, um, but I've I've learned to you know give the wife and family more time as well, and that that uh, I should have known before, but was too focused on growing. And um, I know you you fellows are interested in motivation, and uh, what I really learned was that you you do have to keep a balance because you can get out of balance one way or another, and it's it's not good. I have a, a friend of mine. Sure, sure. Uh, there's a friend of mine, and and uh, I'm a, a fellow entrepreneur. So 
uh, I remember he pulled me aside a couple of years ago, and I've had a couple examples, but I think this applies uh, what you're saying as far as splitting time. And he was like, Hamza, you don't want to have that uh, purple tattoo. And I was like, what do you mean, purple tattoo? And he's like, if you ever go to the beach, you'll see a bunch of men that have this uh, nice little purple line under their heart. And that's a signify, a signi- uh, it signifies that they had uh, heart problems, like they had a stroke or heart attack. And it was because, you know, they were working too hard and they didn't, they didn't split their time like you were saying. And it's, it's unfortunate, like you said, that we're, we're so used to building our, our kingdoms, as you said, and it could go away and make us realize what's really important. Good, good point. Yeah, so that's that's a little reminder. And uh, another one, my, my wife was a nurse in charge of a major um, heart center, uh, St. Paul's Hospital, and, and um, uh, she was threatening for a long time to make a little medallion that shows a set of healthy lungs and a set of smoker's lungs, and one's black and one's pink, you know, just so people could get a quick idea of you know, what they're doing to themselves when they're smoking heavily. And, and uh, anyway, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things we do to ourselves. You know, we cause a lot of our own problems, unfortunately, and uh, um, it'd be nice to help people straighten that out. Your story is a reminder of, and this this message has been out there for, I guess, infinity, you know, but most recently, Wayne, Dyer's, Wayne Dyer was uh, significant in saying that ego stands for edging God out. And so it sounds like where we're not making enough time for what's important, it's our ego. And, you know, the universe kind of reminds us by putting us on our back, so to speak. Yes, indeed. And some of us have to get a pretty good whack before we start paying attention to the right things. So that happened to me. But I look back and I say, well, it was a good trade-off because I'm a lot happier <laughs> guy now. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and I, I feel I kind of had the Job treatment because I'm, I'm really well looked after now and... Um, and I've got a better perspective on things and better better friends, better motivation. And uh, so I, I just think there's been a whole lot of improvements by by getting that connection with my maker uh, put together. But I hadn't heard that description of ego. That's, that's a good way edging God out. I think there's a lot to that. And uh, maybe part of our problem is that... Um, uh, again, today we're, you know, for the most part, pretty pretty comfortable, and we don't think we need God. And that, I spent the first four decades of my life kind of feeling that, you know, and, and giving Mother Nature the credit, and just not really thinking about how my food is made reliably for me and that sort of thing. But uh, before coming on the program this morning, I, I was listening to. Um, uh, one of your podcasts was Janet Colbert on the opioid crisis, and mm-hmm. um, and I had just had some conversations in this past week with some people about you know natural cures. Uh, one one fellow had um, lost five family members to cancer in one year, and um, 
and they were fairly well off. So he he decided to take a year off and go around the world and try to find some natural remedies that some of the older uh, cultures, like in China and India and so on, and around the world, you know what what they had used for curing things. And you know he made a whole um, big book on on natural cures. And of course in our circle. Um, we have friends that have gone through this, and they've they've gone for some of the regular treatments. But they've also set up with um, you know natural remedies that are now known, and and um, you know they've been able to beat their cancer. So that's that's the good news part. Absolutely. Uh, let me ask you with. Uh Going back to the ego thing, and in 1987, this this thing happened, and then you found the Billy Graham conference, and and your sounds like your uh, your inner circle to kind of bounce ideas off of. What what uh, signs did you notice that? Because I, I think men or humans, we have patterns, right? We're creatures of habit, and so you know you you had gone from this the scarcity or awakening or hello moment and then you know life started getting better and then you were i would think i don't want to i don't want to presume but i would think you started getting back what you had originally so you started growing your empire again what were the signs that let you know hey i've played this game before and i probably need to take another direction did that ever happen well, uh, you know, I, I haven't uh, gone anywhere nearly as far as I uh, had before, you know, from a from an empire building point of view. But um, you know, I knew I knew some of the basics that could provide a good good living without knocking yourself out. So uh, you know, I've kind of focused on that, and it's it's worked out very well. And. Um, yeah, I have to say that you know real estate has played a big part of it, uh, the appreciation in values, and uh, and that kind of happens without you exchanging your time for dollars. You know, appreciation just just happens, and uh, and you can use that to your advantage, um, and uh, that's that's been a big help for me, just having that kind of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And when your friend, you mentioned your friend was doing a year tour trying to find some natural cures for his family, mm-hmm. and you more so were looking at it from a research standpoint and looking at uh, atomic biology and, and how it relates versus evolution? Exactly, exactly. And uh, I guess a lot of people, you know, we may have heard the um, idea that we're made from the dust. Well, it's actually true. It's it's not a an atom one step. It's a it's a two step process. But and this this is pretty simple. And I want this to be understandable by fifth graders that you know atoms are the building blocks for material things. I learned that in grade five. And um, so if you figure, okay, these these um, fingers and all the cells in my fingers and all the rest of my body is all made out of atoms because they're material things. Where did they come from? Well, I guess it has to be what I've put in my mouth. And, um, okay, so where where did the atoms for your food come from? Well, I guess they had to come from the soil, didn't they, and the rain. And um, so, uh, you know, your potatoes and carrots and things are made out of out of atoms from the soil and the rain, and um, 
and that's all rearranged once we put it in our mouth, and it's made into cell parts and cells in us. So we are made from the dust in a two-step process. It's a truism. And I don't think anybody can dispute that one. You know, it, um, I don't know what you feel, but but uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not really a matter of feeling. It's just a matter of thinking it through and thinking it through and... Uh, and uh, you know we did a lot of research on to put things together. Uh, if you would be interested, there's one major breakthrough that I had um, probably 15 years ago. Now um, I was reading about our, our our blood, red blood cells, and um, a fellow by the name of Pallister um, was studying this, and he determined that for a 150-pound uh, male, um, we get about 2.3 million new red blood cells every second because we've got to get a whole new batch within about 120 days because the old ones wear out and, you know, they don't absorb oxygen in our lungs and, and give it up where they have to and take away the carbon dioxide. So... So that was the first number, 2.3 million um, uh, new red blood cells per second, 24-7. Then another fellow by the name of Tortora, who's studying red blood cells, said that each, each uh, new red blood cell has about 280 million molecules of hemoglobin. And another fellow, Max Perutz, says that every molecule of hemoglobin has about 10,000 atoms. So when you do the math, <laughs> I don't know if you can imagine the figure, but it's about 6,400 quadrillion atoms per second that have wow. to be taken from our blood system that picked them up from our digestive system and made just into new red blood cells. And, uh, you know, we've got about another 80 trillion cells in our body that have to be replaced and maintained and uh, repaired. So there's a whole lot of work going on inside of us, and it takes super intelligence because we've, it's now been proven that, uh, um, you know, evolution can't, can't do this. It takes super intelligence, and evolution claims not to need any so. So that's why we call it fake. And the fake wasn't really my uh, my idea of a word to describe this. One of my coaches said it, but uh, I thought, you know, there's there's some truth in it. It is fake. And unfortunately, if we are training up scientists that we want to develop, you know, more more useful products, more beneficial products, more beneficial medicines, more nutritious foods, and so on. Um, We've got to give them the right tools to work with because, you know, giving them the wrong information isn't going to be very helpful. So let's, let's get that into, you know, get this into the classroom that uh, it does take a lot of work. It takes uh, super intelligence, and somebody cares very much for each one of us. So. Mm, absolutely. Thomas, why would you say that, you know, historically within science, there's been such resistance to, you know, a super intelligence and there's always been this, you know, kind of, as you say, the toe the line mentality. Why do you personally think that's 
that's been the case? Well, it's an interesting study just on that aspect of things, but I've learned that some people really don't want there to be a God. They just don't want there to be a God that they may uh, have to be accountable to or not even that, but just knows everything they're doing. And, um, um, you know, we, we can get into another aspect of things, uh, I think, especially um, people that have some belief in God. And, and the United States is probably the best in the world as far as the numbers or percentages of people that say they believe in God. Um, like about 90% of males and 94% of females in uh, Gallup uh, study in 2011, the last one I got. Um, but, you know, there's another side. There's that, that dark side that we hear about. And for sure, I, I really believe that uh, uh, there is that temptation out there to to um, do things that look good for a little while and then turn around and, and haunt you later. Um, so anyway, some some people really are persuaded that they they don't just don't want there to be a god. So they will make up all kinds of reasons why uh, there isn't one. And um, of course, you know, I think we can prove now definitely that there certainly is. And he even cares for the people that don't say thanks, or maybe even uh, you know curse them or whatever. And he will keep providing food and, and making cells and repairing them and healing their wounds and things. Give them a whole lifetime to uh, get around to saying thank you. But, uh, um, you know, after that, that's uh, his business. So what he, what he does <laughs> beyond that is something else. But, you know, there's definitely a spiritual side, and I ignored it for a long time. Do you get a lot of pushback from that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially if you go online and you get into a, into a discussion between creation and evolution. And, uh, yeah, I get, get lots of pushback there. But, you know, you don't have to go there if you don't want to. Yeah. And uh, there's, there are many, um, many people that really don't believe in evolution as the cause of life. And uh, a lot of scholars... Um, there was uh, the New York Times did a study back in 1997, and uh, at that time uh, they determined that there's about two and a half million scholars in America alone that didn't believe that evolution was the cause of life. And um, you know that'll be a higher number now, and, and there's you know same feelings in other parts of the world as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just so, listening to your listening okay. to your story, it it reminds me of uh, grace, right? And so everyone can have their argument until your life is upended, and then or, or there's nothing else that you're used to doing works, and so you have to look outside yourself. And I think that's where you know the grace comes in, and you're reminded. Um, and I think it may be an individual story. Because everyone has, you can, you can argue about it, like you said, online all day, but until you go through it, and, I, and, that, and that's probably the challenge, right? So it's not like you can get on top of a car and scream in the bullhorn, hey, come this way. Uh, it's an individual, sto- individual story and individual uh, experience that everyone has to go through. Yeah, it's, it seems to be, seems to be. 
And uh, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I think that some people's idea of uh, who God is is getting pretty fuzzy, and, and part of it is because there's three generations of teaching that evolution is the cause of life, and uh, I know uh, a number of stories of, of um, you know, Christian kids getting into uh, college, university, and, and uh, getting absolutely ridiculed and belittled for thinking that there could be a God that that uh, um, is is causing life. You know, it's it's all evolution. And boy, that's what you better put down on your exam paper too, whether you believe it or not. Um, did you fellas ever um, hear of a, a documentary called Expelled, No Intelligence Allowed? Um, no. On a, few years ago and Ben Stein was the idea. It was about American professors being fired for daring to suggest that there may be uh, some intelligence in the way living things are designed. So they didn't just get a rap on the knuckles for bringing this up in their class. They got fired right out the door. And uh, um, So there's, there's really strong feelings on that side and there's some deep pockets to back them up and um, um, you know they will take teachers and school boards to court and run them out of out of uh, time and patience and money and and uh, they give up and uh, and often the teacher if he's raised it in a public school you know raise this idea that uh, maybe there's some intelligence in the design of things um, he has to find another school often it'll you know it'll go on to a Christian school or something like that so there's, you know, there's a really heavy arsenal uh, working to keep evolution as front and center as the cause of life, and uh, and it's it's wrong. I think we've proved uh, that it's definitely wrong, um, but we're just getting into that, and and it's not a widely um, you know these facts aren't widely known yet. Uh, certainly. The Discovery Institute in Seattle, um, Stephen Meyer and, and his group, are, are promoting intelligent design. They they don't want to give God the credit as a designer. You know, they just say it's an intelligent agent. And I guess part of it's because of this separation of church and state idea. So we've had to say, look, God is not the church. A church can be for Satanists, for Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Catholics, Protestants, cults. You know, God is not the church, so don't confuse the two. And uh, and then we've got a chapter for each of um, United States and Britain and Australia and Canada, uh, how God is involved in the government already in their... Um, like your declaration on the currency and uh, one nation under God and and uh, God bless America and 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 on uh, war memorials and so on. God is sprinkled throughout government um, in all those four countries. So, as my co-author uh, Dr. Graham McLennan, who did the chapter on Australia, um, uh, God and the government of Australia. Uh, what he says is, you know, students have the inalienable right to be taught why God is highly recognized by their government. 
And, um, you know, I have to agree with that, but it's, it's certainly not happening. It's going the other direction. I think God's being removed as far away as possible from the education system. So mm. I don't know if you, do you um, see that in your area as well? Well, that actually was one of my questions because I guess as a guy I'm, I'm used to categorizing. So uh, listening to you in 1987 was huge uh, from in the spiritual community. Um, mm. There's a thing called the cosmic convergence. But uh, where the categories come in, listening to you talk, I was thinking of uh, scientists like uh, Greg Braden or Brian Weiss. And, you know, they had grown their, uh, their professional lives in the, I guess, in the regular, quote-unquote, brick-and-mortar world, and then they got exposed to this other information and had gone through, you know, being ostracized and such, and now they have their, their own identity. And 1987 is totally different than 2018 as, a, as, uh, as it relates to uh, openness and, and allowing and, and even awareness of the subject matter. So I was just wondering... You know, was that the case of the book taking 30 years? It, it was, you had to wait till there was a critical mass for acceptance? Or what was, if you could walk us through the path of acceptance versus the pushback and resistance to get the mm-hmm. book published? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the first uh, about 20 years, it, you know, it was just a growing curiosity, and I was piecing, you know, interesting things together, like these red blood cells and so on. And, um, and then about 11 years ago, I realized, wow, this stuff should be written down somewhere because um, I, I'm not finding it anywhere in the in the science books. And um, so that's when I started writing. I started with a a movie script um, because I figured, you know, pictures worth a thousand words. But then, you know, looked at the. Um, details of it and and movies are expensive to make and they're expensive to promote and they don't often last very very long but a book and especially a textbook can have you know a a longer and better reach I would say and um, so switched over to starting to write a book but you know when you get a feeling that there's something missing and you you can't put your hand on it (laughs) and uh, I, I did another book before 2016 um, uh, with with a lot of the same information in it, but uh, in, in 2016 when these Nobel Prize winners you know, got that award for making these really simplistic little molecular machines compared to what's in our cells, uh, that's, that's it. That is the aha moment. That's the key right there. So, <laughs> so um, it really proves that it, it uh, you know, mankind doesn't have enough intelligence by a long shot. Evolution doesn't have any, so that's out of the picture. And uh, so it's it's got to be a super intelligence that does this work. And and so you know, we're really going a step beyond the intelligent design folks and uh, you know I'm, I'm a member of the Discovery Institute and we're, you know, I'm going to an insider's briefing next month with them but I know that one of these days very shortly I've got to sit down with them and say look we've, we're going down a similar road but I am not holding back on talking about who the designer is and beyond that you know design is a design now you've got to build, build something you've got to take the plans and build it so uh, that's what we're doing. We're we're talking about the 
not just the, the intelligent design, but the super intelligent work that is essential for building cell parts in us. So that's you know that's the difference there. Um, so yeah, and and often you know I actually pray about this. Say, God, why is this taking so long? And I, you know, I'm not used to things taking so long. <laughs> I like to make things happen now. But uh, anyway. I also remember reading that his timing is best, and and uh, as as time goes by, more and more pieces are put into the puzzle, and uh, I, I think we've got a full picture now, and uh, and that was kind of the last piece uh, dropping into place um, uh, with with these Nobel Prize winners. But there was one other thing that that I've added since then, and that is. After talking to these scholars that don't, um, you know, they just haven't gone down to the level where atoms have to be assembled, um, I thought, okay, well, what what can I do? Because when when the, I asked them this question, you know, how do they think it gets put together with atoms? Their their guesses are so bizarre that you know you, you can tell they need help. So I decided, okay, let's compare building a cell, which is incredibly complex, with building a birdhouse, which is something we can all understand. And so for building a birdhouse, you know, you have to decide what you want it to look like when you're finished. You have to um, find the materials that you're going to need. Um, you're going to have to um, find some tools. You're going to have to get your materials delivered to the construction site where you're going to make this thing. And all of these steps have to go through, you know, have to be gone through for a cell as well. You know, all the right numbers, the right atoms have to be available. And that can just be through a bloodstream. So there has to be a bloodstream at your cell construction site and so on. But I figured, okay, if, if we can get them to understand that it takes intelligence to build a birdhouse, then we'll take them the next step to building a cell. Well, that's kind of how that part developed. And now we've we've um, just got this this uh, Darwin's replacement book out there, and um, we are uh, pleased to have people like yourself that are interested in in talking about it a little bit on the air. And uh, we'll we'll see where it goes. But it's it's going to take a big a big push, and it might not totally come about in my lifetime, but hopefully we'll get some textbooks into some Christian schools at least and and uh, maybe get some traction. Like I want to um, to talk to some of the uh, leaders in, in uh, education, especially science education and government uh, in general, about allowing science to go where the evidence leads, you know, without restriction and without reprisal. And that should be a no-brainer. It should never have been any other way, but it is, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Like I say, there's, there's, there's huge resistance to bringing um, anything um, but evolution to the table in, in public schools and uh, universities um, as a cause of life. So, um, yeah, there's there's a huge um, factor to overcome there, but you know if if people will settle on truth and something else we're doing is collecting um, 
uh, sheets of what I call science agreeables, and that's a number of points of science that any honest scientist really has to agree on. And uh, and that will be backup, but uh, that's the next steps to get a bunch of those out there. And we do have a number of endorsements from from scholars, so it's you know it's beginning to grow, and we just have to keep keep at it, keep the motivation. And I, you know, it's such a motivation for me now; it's like an obsession. <laughs> I don't see dropping it. <laughs> I don't see dropping it at all. And a worthwhile cause. And I, I was going to mention that um, I, I listened to part of the interview you did with uh, Janet Colbert on the opioids. Yeah, and um, you know a lot of what she, at least the part I listened to, was about um, prescription drugs being over uh, prescribed. But I think that uh, you know the the kids that get into um, uh, pot and meth and and uh, other and, you know other drugs uh, that aren't legitimate. Um, do that partly because they may be depressed or they feel hopeless and they need some some kind of relief from not feeling right about themselves or whatever. So I, I'm hoping that once kids get the understanding that they're you know they're not descendants from a, a monkey group and that there is somebody that really does care a lot for them and works very hard for them every second of every day, that they may not you know, feel so depressed, especially if they can you know, get to understand that they are certainly worthwhile and cared for and, and, uh, and uh, there's, there's a plan for them for their life that uh, they can tap into. So that's and David another, and I... Oh, absolutely. Uh, I know David and I, we always say that there's no accidents. So there was no accidents that you were listening to the Opioid Crisis podcast. And I think the correlation that it brings up my next question, because we were speaking with Janet about um, developing think tanks and lobbying for certain rights, and I I didn't know uh, the extent of Discovery Institute in Seattle, if it's developed as a uh, think tank, and are you looking at lobbying to get this into the school systems? Well, the interesting thing with the Discovery Institute is that they, um, they're they not trying to get intelligent design into the school system yet. They just want to, to have the right to have um, evolution fully discussed, including its shortcomings. And uh, now there are nine states that are allowing that. They won't... They, uh, like Louisiana was one of the stronger ones, and they've just had their 10th anniversary since they they passed this ruling that uh, evolution could be discussed fully, um, but not intelligent design. You can't talk about that. And that's that's part of their law, right? So, uh, but at least you know if you can talk about. And I just learned this within the last couple of weeks that they that there were nine states that had this. Um, legislation for uh, at least allowing a full discussion of evolution. So I've started to think of a number of questions in discussing evolution, like can evolution count? 
and uh, I, I think it takes some intelligence even just to count. But <clears throat> here's here's an example of how critical counting atoms and the right atoms is to to us. In our DNA, there are four bases that that are are sort of the starting point for the, all the coding that that goes in, and there are billions of of uh, these bases put together in the right sequence and so on. So that you know is another aspect that when you're doing a, a computer program, it takes a lot of intelligence, and and programming your DNA does too. But anyway, for these, just taking two of the bases. Um, adenine is is one that has five atoms of carbon, five atoms of nitrogen, five atoms of hydrogen, and you know not six or two or three, but five of each. And then you have to stop. You have, so you have to pick the right elements, and you have to pick the right number of the atoms of each one to make that base of adenine. Then guanine is also five atoms of carbon, five atoms of nitrogen, five atoms of hydrogen, but adding one atom of oxygen. And that's the difference between those two bases, and, and the other two are very similar as well. So so the, the selecting of the right atoms and the counting and placement and fastening of the right numbers of each atom, uh, each element, is, is uh, critical. Absolutely critical, and that's that's just for our DNA basis, you know, and, and uh, this goes on throughout our whole body. Um, so evolution's got to be able to count, you know. It's got to be able to select the right elements, and it's got to be able to place them in the right place and at the right time. And then we get into, you know, putting these, these bases in sequence for our DNA, and that's another absolutely brilliant program that that uh, uh is way beyond anything that uh, that evolution could do so. <laughs> so as far as we're concerned it's falsified but but uh, getting it accepted as falsified is a whole different story it's a major major challenge sure uh when you I have a question with regards to intelligence and, and the atomic biology about uh, in 2018, you know, there, at least on the technology side, there's a huge conversation about artificial intelligence. And I wanted to know in 2018, what, what role does artificial, is it currently playing or what do you see as its role in the future of this developing? Well, I would say that um, it, it will definitely play a role. Um, we are again talking about intelligence, and of course, it takes uh, it takes a huge amount of uh, intelligent effort to put some of these uh, computers together, and they're they're getting you know very very fast and very sophisticated. <clears throat> but it it's not happening by natural selection. You know that's and and we're our our effort is just to focus on saying that no evolution is not the cause of life you shouldn't be teaching that anymore and it's got to be super intelligence and there's only one source of that that we know of and um see if if um we got these scientists that got the nobel prize to get to the point where they actually could build 
one of the several molecular machines that goes into each of our cells. Now they would need to put that in equipment to work inside of us to build the cells, right? So that's, that's not going to happen. So I, as far as living entities are concerned, um, uh, they, they won't be doing that artificially. Now, they, if you start with some living uh, cells, and uh, you can influence them, you know, like you can play with the genes and that sort of thing. And I, I think there could be some real dangers there, but we're going that direction. Um, so, you know, it's it's uh, definitely a possibility that that, uh, and and it's not just a possibility. We are already altering um, parts of of things that are already alive, <clears throat> and I don't. I don't particularly like that idea, but if there's some health benefits, yeah, maybe it'll be a good thing. So I, yeah, I'm just I thinking. Know. I'm thinking about all this gene manipulation that is currently happening, and uh, you do see it in, in the scientific community. You also see it with uh, food production. You know, a, a lot of uh, previous generations' remark of, you know, we didn't have apples the size of pumpkins in the store so there's there's obvious manipulation going on there and i guess there would be an argument of you can't you can't do these tests on a human but you could do a test on a clone so which is kind of a human so it's a whole nother pandora's box that gets opened and i don't know how far you guys are willing to explore it well, uh, that that will be another investigation, I would say, in the not too distant future for us. But in the meantime, we've got to, you know, raise some funds and and uh, get hire some more people and so on to proceed with some of these. But one one thing we know that we'll be able to do, just for example, and that is to let's let's say that you have a number of um, oranges, different types of oranges and some of them are a lot more nutritious than others. And uh, so you, you do a good uh, analysis of exactly what combination of, um, of atoms you've got in the really nutritious um, oranges. And then you go to the, um, the orchard and uh, you analyze the soil and you know you find in the, in the um, where the best nutrition is coming from the soil's got all the right ingredients but some of the orchards don't have all the ingredients they should have but now you know what the best oranges need so you can you can make a um, fertilizer with the formula to top up that particular orchard soil so that it does have all the atoms available to make the best oranges so that, that would be one thing. Um, I think when it comes to our own um, healthy cells and, and unhealthy cells, we can look at you know the ingredients in the healthy cells and, um, and <clears throat> if there are some things in the unhealthy cells that are getting in that shouldn't be, then you, you can uh, work out a way to block the wrong uh, ingredients getting into unhealthy cells or you can uh, top them up if they're lacking something. You can you can uh, add those to those uh, cells, add, add what is missing. So those, those are a couple of examples where this can lead to. So we can help in nutrition, um, agriculture, uh, aquaculture, probably medicine as well. Um, 
and yeah, these are these are a few of the areas that that will um, be improved, I think, by atomic biology. And I do want to thank you for letting us know and letting the audience know about documentaries. I'm a big documentary fan, and you were talking about expelled, no intelligence allowed, correct? Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. So I wanted to, of course, do the law of reciprocation and let you know about the documentary Gas Hole. Have you ever seen that? I haven't seen that one. Yeah, Gas Hole is pretty good. It, it was talking about how... Uh, the, it was talking about the oil industry or, you know, petroleum, and they were saying in the 30s and 40s, they were developing, scientists were developing cars that can get 40, 50, 60 miles to, per the gallon. But, this, you know, but big business kind of put the kibosh on it. It's, you know, there is some propeller or uh, uh, tinfoil hat talk about it. But, you know, today, finally, uh, 70, 80, 90 years later, we have these cars that are that can go 40, 50 uh, per gallon, miles per gallon. And we think, oh, wow, this happened yesterday. No, this has been happening for generations. And so I, I bring it up to ask you, what would you mark as a level of success in I mean, it's been 30 years that you've done this. You, got, you have the book out. You have the Discovery Institute. Uh, what would be the next level of success if you had a chart to say, okay, this is a check mark, and we're happy with the way things are going? So getting, first of all, I think just that basic idea that science be allowed to go where the evidence leads without reprisal, that would be one one first step that would be good. Then if we can get, um, uh, and we'll, we'll probably modify this, this um, replacement book to make it into a textbook, um, and so if we could get those into Christian schools, that would be another step. And, you know, we have to go where the path of least resistance is. And um, then, you know, we can keep praying that science will be led by by people that want truth in science and what they're teaching their students. Um, it shouldn't even be a question, but it is. It's a big one, and uh, um, so uh, that that would be the progression. I would think just you know, making getting getting uh, the allowance for science to go where the evidence leads, which which should never have been anything else. Um, getting some uh, textbooks to show that there is superintelligence involved in building um, all living entities, and maybe getting those textbooks into some Christian schools for a start, Christian universities, and then um, next step is you know getting them throughout the education system, and, and you'll probably a lot more endorsement for the fact that this this is accurate and evolution isn't mm-hmm. that's what I see as a at the moment anyway as the steps to, to uh, go through here mm-hmm. it, it sounds a lot like uh, I mean this has been the pattern of of the United States I would think back to what was it 1770 I can't remember the year um, but Adam Smith had written the book, The Wealth of Nations, and it was more so of, oh, we teach a nucleus first. We can't really afford to teach the general population. Uh, we just don't have the infrastructure to handle it. 
and it sounds like it's a similar pattern here where if you work, like you're saying, get it, get it in certain schools and build a critical mass, you know, it'll ultimately reach the masses, but uh, probably not in the time that we would like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to take a while. Discovery has been at Intelligent Design since 1996, and um, <laughs> so far they've just got nine states to accept the idea of discussing evolution fully, and uh, so that's that's a kind of a step at a time that they're taking. And uh, like I say, they, they don't really want teachers trying to teach intelligent design because they don't feel that uh, the teachers have been prepared for it yet. So, so yeah, it takes takes a long time. I, there's one expression in the science world that says, you know, change happens one funeral at a time. And, so <laughs> and it really seems that way sometimes, you know, it really does. But, uh, you know, hopefully we can bring some more intelligence into that aspect of things. <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I think I left too hard at that one. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, David, yeah. you, you, uh, I'm sorry. I took over everything again, but uh, do you have any other questions for, yeah, for Tom? No, I was just somebody going to ask, if, uh, Thomas, did you have any other books on the horizon that you're thinking about writing? Um. I, I can see some that, um, like doing some some uh, textbooks will be another step, um, and that will be, uh, you know, that will be helpful. But I think there are some aspects of this that uh, I would write a little differently in the next book as well. So there will probably be another one just with a little different approach. Knowing what I know now, um, you know, after talking to a number of scholars and finding that they – they, for whatever reason, have not gone down to this level. I could see why the evolution crowd wouldn't want to go to the atomic level because, you know, you can't you can't look at that without realizing, yeah, there's some some choices, decisions, um, and and physical works that have to be done with atoms to build these parts, and it's got to be, you know, it's, it's beyond man's intelligence. So they don't want to go there, and maybe that's kind of been why education system um, hasn't hasn't gone there because the evolutions don't want to go there but the truth has to come out sometime and uh, um, so we're just going to keep working away at that aspect of it one one of the lines that um, one of one of the evolutionists says we we dare not let a divine foot in the door and and that's kind of the attitude you know they just they just put a wall up and they do not want you know any idea of superintelligence or God in the picture, and to me that that's got to be a conspiracy, and it's certainly anti-science. Yeah. And you know they've got to be called on it, and uh, mm-hmm. so you know I again go back to Janet Colburn and what what she's working on and making uh, you know step by step, and you know that seems to be what it takes is determination to to get the right answers out there. Absolutely. And with the consistency, if you could let everyone know where they can find your book and uh, how they get in touch with you, and also if you could leave some information on the Discovery Institute in Seattle as well. Okay. Um, where would you like me to put that? Like, you, I know that No, if you could just tell our, our audience. 
Okay. So if if you um, go on to um, uh, DarwinsReplacement.com website, or um, we've got a couple of others. One of them is AtomicBiology.com and uh, RealityResearchAndDevelopment.com, or just RealityRnd.com, and and the um, should be a button there to hit for Amazon, and you can you have it have the book delivered. And um, they're now um, printed in um, Australia and Britain as well as the United States. And uh, Discovery Institute is in Seattle. You can Google them, and uh, they've they've got a lot of really good information there. Like they've they've been. Um, at this, um, as far as an institute's concerned, for uh, 22 years now. And uh, so they're ahead of us from that point of view, and they have a lot of interesting information. But we, we hope to make some cooperative arrangement with them, actually. And um, they, they have other aspects of their group, too, the um, Center for Science and Culture, and they do a lot of uh, civic um planning ideas work and it is a think tank for that sort of thing mm-hmm. so they're they're a good outfit fantastic fantastic and you have just been in tune to another episode of intrinsic motivation from a homie's perspective this is Hamza and I am David and Tom it was a pleasure uh, let's definitely stay in touch very good love to do that thanks very much fellas appreciate the thanks. opportunity and uh, thanks for being here thank you okay great Talk to you again. Cheers. <coughs> Thanks again for checking out another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homies Perspective podcast. Please check us out on our website at intrinsicmotivation.life where you can click on the speak pipe button and leave any suggestions for a future podcast that you'd like us to cover. Also check us out on our social media sites. We have a YouTube channel, Facebook page, iTunes podcast, in addition to Stitcher and Google Play, all under Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. Check you out next time. Have a great day.